Hey, folks, welcome to episode three of the Speaking of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Robin Ellingwood, and on today's show, I sit down with my friend, Steve Carter. Steve is the former lead teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church, author of This Invitational Life, host of the Craft and Character podcast, and co-host of the Home Team podcast. During our time together, Steve talked about his leadership journey, why he left Willow, and the importance of focusing on our character, not just our craft. Here's our conversation. Hey, Steve. So glad that you joined us today. Man, just really great to have you here. Definitely, man. How many years ago was it when, well, I, I, actually, I know how long it was. It was at least 12 years ago when you and I and my pregnant wife went whale watching out in, was it, where, where was that? It was in St. Andrews, New Brunswick. And so yes. no, nobody knows where that is, but it's, yeah, it's on the Bay of Fundy and you guys got to do some whale watching. Whale watching and like, I saw all of these bald eagles. It was like this, I, every time I think of Robin, like being with you, I just think about being on this boat and like being in a land that I never like had experienced in nature. And I'm like, this is like, this is where National Geographic probably comes. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is like, this is absolutely stunning as a Southern California surfer kid. Like I was just so, so blown away. So uh, man, I just, I love you. I love your heart. You have been a gift to, to my family and myself. And uh, so it's so fun to be with you, bro. Cool, man. Thank you. Uh, listen, let's dive in. Uh, we want to talk a little bit uh, about leadership, look at you know just the importance of integrity in the life of a leader. But maybe before we do a deep dive into that, maybe you could just catch us up to speed a little bit about your um, journey as a leader. You know, How did it all begin for you and where has it taken you? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I was a film major, never really thought I would go into church. I had some incredible mentors um, who kept really a calling uh, that leadership pastoral gift out of me, but I, I honestly was one of those who kind of pushed it away. And um, I wanted to tell stories and wanted to play basketball. And so mm. uh, my sophomore year of college, my parents came to faith and moved from California to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And there was a church getting started called Mars Hill Bible Church. Um, I knew nothing of it, didn't know who the pastor was. Um, but I showed up and it was meeting at a homeschool building. Uh, this guy named Rob Bell um, was just walking through the book of Leviticus and there were thousands of people and I was getting turned away by a fire marshal. So I, three weeks in a row, I got turned away by a fire marshal and had to sneak in. I was like, what is going on? And he just gets up and goes, all right, everyone open, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter six and the whole room just opened and started turning pages. And I, I never seen anything like it. Crazy, and I was just hooked. And from that, I felt like I was watching someone tell stories that spoke to where culture was at. I don't mm. think I had experienced that in the local church. I thought you had to like get outside the church to do that. Right. I was watching someone do that within the church, and that kind of spoke to me. Went back to college uh, in California, switched my major to preaching, uh, biblical studies, and then Rob actually uh, was in. Israel and Turkey, and someone pulled him aside and said, Jesus didn't change the world by speaking to the masses. He changed the world by having disciples. So Rob, who are you pouring your life into? And he, he looked at his wife, they didn't have an answer. And they started praying, I guess, on the, on the flight home and my name came up. And so he called me from the Grand Rapids airport 
and said, Hey, I want you to graduate as fast as you can. I want you to come live in my basement. I'll teach you everything I know. And let's change the world one West Michigan at a time. (laughs) And I had been praying for a preaching mentor. I'd been getting denied by different people. And and honestly, uh, one person that I was going to do a internship with, someone I, I still love dearly, um, had had like a moral failing. And so he had stepped out. But so I graduate in 2001, I think, 2002, I moved to Grand Rapids and I start being Rob's intern. I leave there in 2009. I had been doing um, kind of overseeing cradle through college, was teaching on the weekends. Go out to back to California to Rock Harbor, where I had interned in college and uh, was a like an associate teaching pastor. And then I planted a campus and was kind of live teaching, and so was doing that. Um, but while I was in Michigan um, at Mars Hill, I met Bill Hybels uh, through his son-in-law and his daughter, and and Bill just kind of became this kind of mentor from afar and. He invited me to join the staff at Willow. And I, I always say I, I, at Mars Hill, I learned this compelling why. Um, at Rock Harbor, I, you know, a lot of our elders were people who had walked closely with John Wimber hmm. um, and I'm Vineyard. And, um, and so I feel like I learned this compelling how and about the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Yes. And then at Willow, I learned about the what, the hmm. leadership. Uh, scalability, actually, like, and and so I can pull like some incredible things from each. Um, and then probably about sixteen months ago, I stepped out of kind of my dream job, um, and now live in the desert where writing, still teaching um, on an itinerant basis, and have just launched uh, a couple of cool endeavors. And yeah, just trying to see what God has next for us. Amazing. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing just a little bit about your journey and uh, definitely want to talk a little bit more about what you're up to these days, the things that you're cooking up. Wondering though, if we could, uh, maybe if you could share a little bit about the end of your time at Willow and you talked about it as your dream job, just wondering maybe if you could share a little bit just about the reason why you left. Yeah. So I had been in a a multi-year succession uh, plan, the senior pastor, founding pastor, Bill Hybels, had been raising up a team to kind of take his place. And um, they were going to do something kind of interesting. And they were going to break up his role into two positions, kind of this executive leader um, who would be an elder and then uh, kind of a congregational content preacher leader um, who wasn't going to be an elder, but they were going to be considered these co-lead pastors. And so I got this dream job where my life was going to be about content and congregation. Hmm. And I loved the congregation of Willow. I love Chicagoland. And I was going to get to create ideas, create content, and, and really help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. So probably 2017, this yeah, the, the October, it gets announced and people are fired up. They're so hmm. excited. And one year from when it was announced was when the actual handoff was going to come. About five, six months later, I get a phone call that someone is telling me that a Me Too story is coming about a Chicagoland megachurch pastor who I know. And it's kind of like a hint, hint, you know the person. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, you don't know what I'm talking I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And this is how I came to find out about a Chicago Tribune story about my mentor that was coming really soon. Shoot. And that kind of, that kind of rocked me. You know, this, this is the guy I love. This is the guy that was trusting me. This is the guy that 
in a lot of ways, I wanted to be more light. Mm. Um, and then to know that there had been stories of abuse. And so um, in massive organizations where there's a lot of resources, there's a lot of assets, it can become very easy, especially in a boomer mentality, to choose self-preservation at mm. all costs. And I, I found myself, I wasn't an elder, but I had the people's trust. There was another lead pastor who was an elder and the rest of the elder board. And, and not everyone was on this, this phase, but a lot of them, I'd say the majority of them were in the preserve the brand, preserve the good. Let's see if we can get through it and just weather it. And honestly, I think this comes down to a leadership. You're always going to have crisis, but here's the thing. I think there's a difference between boomer sensibilities and millennial sensibilities. Right. And we were using the same word transparency. It was just kind of interpreted or understood differently. One was transparency, but not at the sake of losing the organization. Another one was transparency because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> and so uh, I, I found myself in a constant kind of battle with people I loved hmm. about how I think we should handle this. And I decided, and I went a little rogue, I'm not recommending that, but I think because there was a breakdown of trust, I did not know who I could trust. And so I decided I'm on my own dime going to go meet with each of these women and try and hear their story. And I was blown away. Wow. Uh, I was floored, man. I was floored. And to hear their stories and I realized I got to do something. And it felt like an Esther moment. I got to do something. And so mm. I wrote a blog post I wasn't an elder, so I didn't like necessarily speak for the organization, but I was a co-lead pastor. And uh, I had this so trust awkward. of the community. It was so strange. So, but here's the thing. Anytime someone is a preacher, a pastor, a leader, a teacher, here's what you're doing with the congregation and the greater world is you are playing with people's trust. Hmm. And I didn't want to just play with it. I wanted people to know that they could trust me and they could trust Christ and they should be able to trust the bride of Christ. So I wrote a blog post that literally, and I brought it to the elders the night before I released it. I brought it to the, the executive team the night before I released it. And I just said, I believe the women. And I mm -hmm. kind of detailed why. And that had um, a pretty wild response. I mean, at one service, I got up and the whole church gave me a standing ovation. Wow. I should say the whole church. I'd say like 65% of the church gave me a, and I was like, what is going And I didn't know what was happening. And I literally like, Hey, everyone stand to your feet because we had David Crowder um, and people, <laughs> people emailed me and they were like, you know why we did that, right? We were so grateful. Someone had the courage, but other people were like, you went against the ring. You know, you, you, you like, you went against, you know, and so I took shots, bro. I took shots. And so it was like, it was like on Amazon. I was either a five or a one, you know, that was my rating. <laughs> there was no middle ground with me. So I, I found myself just saying, okay, there's more to be done. And again, when I look at the gospel, the good news is that we don't have to be perfect, that we are broken. We just need to be honest and human. Mm. We need to have the courage and humility to uh, name truth, to repent, and to work towards reconciliation. Yeah. And I felt some of the postures that Willow had demonstrated had been more around power pride and preservation. So I kind of, in the most Jerry Maguire way, wrote a manifesto that said, hey, here's six postures and practices. And if we do this, I think we can actually get through this and really build credibility, mm. build back trust, and really showcase what we know to be true through the scriptures. Right. And 
it was a document that was really honest. And I think sometimes in leaders, when crisis comes, one of their responses can be, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I felt that at times, but I really felt like I wanted to stand on the stage and look at the congregation that I loved and say, I signed up for this. I signed up for crises like this. And I know that this book is true and we can do and get through this. We just got to do the right things. So I brought that to the elders and uh, many of them. And again, I'm learning this now, not all of them. A few of the louder ones looked at my proposal and said, we could do a few of these. And then some of them were like, you know, you really need to go to leadership school. You don't know what you're talking about. And I, and I think that was the crazy piece, bro. I was like, I, I'm the crazy one. Why is this hmm. so hard? And so um, on August 5th, it was a Sunday, a story came out in the New York Times and it was, it was horrific. And there's five reasons that um, I did what I chose to do. And that's probably another, another conversation, but mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to respond. And at the time, the church didn't want to address it. They were just going to send out an email and kind of like, in my opinion, just try to move on. And you can't move on when you don't acknowledge what actually happened. And I just got sick to my stomach. I I went into the restroom and I I threw up. I was just so sick. I Mm -hmm. could not believe it. And I looked at myself in the mirror as I was like washing my face and backstage. And I, uh, I thought two things, one about my mentor, Hal, and as a kid, like, as he, you know, he was my youth pastor and he'd always just say, Steve, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter like how good you are at something. It doesn't matter uh, how well you perform or it doesn't matter whatever you achieve. The only thing that matters is your integrity. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Wow. And he, he would pull me aside, Robin. I promise you once, twice, three times a month. And he just said, Steve, what's the one thing that takes seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, seasons, years, decades to gain and like can be lost in a moment. And I'd always answer your integrity. And he's like, bingo, Wow, don't lose it. So I just felt this was a moment. And the second thing is ever since my son was a little kid, when I put him to bed, I always ask him, Hey, Emerson, did you have integrity today? And he would look at me and go, I think I did dad. What about you? I'm like, I think I did. And I just knew if I went on that stage and I pretended that nothing had happened and I went through a system that didn't want to address the actual truth, if my son asked me, dad, Mm. do you have integrity today? I would have to either lie or I would have to tell him I didn't. I did. I didn't have the courage and the guts to do the right thing. And there's more context. I'm not saying I did it perfectly. Um, there's more kind of layers to this, but I just felt on that day I needed to not be on stage. And so I left, I didn't go to work and I wrote a blog post, basically another one just saying, here's why I didn't go on and here's why I can't be a part of this, um, moving forward. And I, I resigned and it was the single hardest decision and it was profoundly traumatic. And the sad thing is it never had to get that way. Never had to get to that point. Right, I should right. still be there. I should still be doing and being with the job, being with the congregation I love. But this is the result of profound levels of collateral damage. So that's that's a little bit of the story. Thank you for sharing. You know, I'm sure it's painful every time you retell that 
but I really appreciate the part about your son and just thinking about going home and being faced with his question, dad, did you have integrity today? Just wondering, um, you know, I thought it'd be cool maybe to press in a little bit about how can we as parents, as leaders of our families, how can we raise kids of integrity? Do you have any examples maybe from your own personal parenting experience that you could share with us? Yeah, that's a great question. So maybe we should start with what's a definition of of integrity, you know? Um, so I think, I think the, a lot of times people, you know, kind of have these ethereal ideas of what it means. I like what Henry Cloud, um, how he defines integrity. It's just meeting the demands of reality. So mm-hmm. how do you raise up a child to meet the demands of reality? Um, because in a world where, whether it's hardwired within us, Um, because of the fall, uh, we have a tendency to fight. We have a tendency to flee and we have a tendency to freeze right in moments. And so I think for a parent, it's to kind of begin to identify where's their natural lean to step away from meeting the demands of reality. No, we're, we have all three in, 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 in us, but I think, you know, for some personality types, it's going to be easier for them to regress to a peacemaker or regress to just freezing and then just feeling paralyzed in the moment. You have to really help coach and pastor your child and really help them get curious about why, mm-hmm. what's underneath that. Mm-hmm. Or for those who are going to fight, you know, and they just want to like fight and defend and be stubborn and dig their heels in. There's something really beautiful about that, but if it's not channeled in the right way. So um, oftentimes we will find ourselves having conversations, you know? And so we took our kids down to Phoenix, you know, it's the fourth, fifth largest city in the U S and we've been kind of unpacking what's been happening in our, in our world. And, and my, my son said, well, I want to, I want to go to the protest. Okay, let's wow. go. Um, and I just said, well, what do you want to protest? And he just said, well, I just feel like this is one of those moments where you want to be on the right side and the right side is for George Floyd's daughter to know another young person sees her. So, so it's, it's in those moments where I think you just go, okay, okay. Uh, you, you're, you're seeing, but I think a lot of that comes in learning to play it out. And so when I'm in the car driving with my daughter I just, I just pepper them with questions like, like, say for instance, this were to happen. How do you think you would respond? Hey, if, if you saw one of your best friends call another person, like a name that was really mean because of the color of their skin, what do you do? Right. So again, you might not use the word integrity, but you, you're talking about meeting the demands of reality. And then later that night, when I put them to bed, I go, hey, remember when you answered that question? That was what integrity does. Hmm. Or have you ever considered it if that were to happen or if you would have like maybe chosen to get curious or do it this way? Or can I tell you a time where I failed? Or can I tell you a time where my friend did this? in a way that taught me. And so again, it's just this constant conversation 
I don't want them to get into image management. That's too much of our culture. I don't want them right. to get into protecting their reputation. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, as one mentor told me once, if Jesus cared about his reputation, he would have never left heaven. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's not about reputation. It's about meeting the demands of reality. Mm. And we have too many people in our culture who are in the self-preservation game, yeah. not in the do the right thing game. Man, that's so helpful, Steve. So, so good. Thank you. As, as leaders, uh, kind of pressing back into leadership and thinking of, you know, maybe church leadership or leading organizations or in the marketplace, how can we as leaders let character and not competence lead the way? Yeah, I think you have to do your work. You know, I mean, it, it starts with getting really, really kind of honest and human. You know, mm-hmm. there's that passage in Romans that talks about, you know, rejoice in your sufferings because sufferings will produce perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope will never be put to shame. And really the sufferings, it, it's a, it, in Greek, it's the word ellipsis, and it really means like the pressing, the daily pressing. Mm-hmm. And every day we're getting pressed, you right. know, as leaders, you know, pressed financially, pressed organizationally, uh, pressed with what we should say or how we should say it respond. You're pressed. And oftentimes we're not curious of what's going to come out of us. And I think we each have blind spots. We each have parts in our story um, that are lacking a little bit of emotional intelligence or lacking, you know, the process of sanctification, making us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. Mm-hmm. And that that takes work. And so what I love what Paul says is you ought to rejoice in your sufferings. You know, like you you literally like should actually go, man, this is a moment for you to actually grow. And, and Dallas Willard once told John Orberg, he said, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's powerful because mm-hmm. as leaders, we're constantly living out, you know, trying to think of up into the right. We're, we're, we're out in the future, right? And there's something about arranging my life to be content in the moment, to be a person who's enjoying what God is doing in me and around me and confident that as long as I keep the remain thing, the main thing, God's going to actually do what he promises to do, which is to prune and to bear more fruit. And I think we often miss out on doing our work and doing the keep the remain thing work and handing over the shears for things in our life to be pruned, which again, in this kind of unique day, the beauty of, of it is the truth always comes out. The truth always comes out. So you either are going to do your work or the truth's going to come out. So I think there are some leaders who are doing the hard work because out of fear, which isn't a great motivator, but I think, man, if you do the work, and you go through that process of, and you persevere and your virtues and character are shaped. And that's the kind of person that, that I want to work with. That's the kind of person that is more whole and holy and spiritually healthy. So that's, I think for me, that's what I would just encourage people. Keep leaning into that. Now, when you talk about keeping the remain thing, the main thing, you're, you're making a reference to John 15, right? And this is when Jesus is talking to his disciples, telling them to abide or to make their home in him, right? So 
Can you maybe just for people who aren't familiar, maybe for people who don't have a lot of Bible knowledge, can you just maybe unpack that just for a couple minutes? Yeah. So there's five chapters, John 13 through 17 in the book of John, that I think scholars would say that they're, they're some of the five most powerful passages. You have John 13, where Jesus is basically doing the, the final meal with his disciples. Um, he begins to like speak about one is going to betray him. Next chapter, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And they begin making their way to a place to pray. I'll skip John 15 for a second. John 16 talks more about the, the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit will do. John 17 is this prayer for disciples and, and prayer for each of us that we would be one, that there would be unity. But along the way, scholars believe he stops at a vineyard. And he, and he begins to offer up um, one of his last teachings. And he just says, I am the vine. You're the branch. My father's the gardener. Now, the vine was, the, was kind of like the bald eagle for the U.S. Um, it was kind of like the nationalistic symbol. What would that be for Canada? Hockey? Wayne Gretzky? Like, I don't right. know. Like, May- the, <laughs> the beaver? <laughs> the beaver? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know, but like, whatever the nationalistic symbol is, the vine was what the, the Hebrew spies, when they were entering into the promised land, brought back. And so that became a symbol of favor, God's favor on the people. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the nationalistic hope. I'm the hope of the world. I'm the symbol. And you know what? You're a branch. And my father's the gardener. And so what Jesus begins to kind of offer up to his students and apprentices is this word of, there's going to be this temptation for you to think that you are the vine and I'm just a compartmentalized branch in your story. But I need you to understand the more that you abide, and I love how you say that because abide comes from the word abode, which means to make your home in, the more that you allow me to take up residency in your life, the more that you attach and keep the remain thing, the main thing, the more my goodness, the more my love, the more that values of my father's kingdom are going to rush through your decision-making, right. your life. And you are going to bear the kind of fruit that, that people are going to say, wow, that's love. That is grace. That's peace. That's, that's filled with joy. That's just different than what we tend to see if we ever on Twitter or online or listening to talk radio or watching the news. And so um, for me, the closer I can walk and make my home in Christ, the better I am. And the, the more I don't make my life in Christ, the more my life feels filled with crisis. And so right. I, just, uh, I, just, I just I found John 15 is a profound way to live a better kind of life. That's so great, man. You know, I've noticed this as pastor, Christian leader, you know, for the past 15 plus years, like I've had seasons where I'll drift into leading on spiritual autopilot and just sometimes can drift into leading without Christ, which is such a dangerous place. And, you know, I I even, you know, wince as I say that because I just can't believe that sometimes I have sort of drifted into that um, where I haven't those seasons where I haven't kept the, the remain thing, the main thing. But just wondering maybe if during this season for you right now, what spiritual practices are bringing you life and helping you to, to make your home in Jesus? Yeah. So when I, I left Willow, I lived two minutes, you know, and that, that church, you know, was massive, you know, over a hundred acres, 890,000 square feet. I'm not sure what that, that would break down in, um, 
in meters, um, but it's just massive. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like God said, go to the desert and wait for instructions. And, you know, Robin, you know this, um, we've known each other a while, but I'm an achiever. I, I, I like having big hills, big goals. I like, I like going after things. I felt like I pulled out my journal. I felt like God just whisper again, you can't achieve your way out of this. You can only grieve your way through it. Wow. And I didn't know how to grieve. I was in tune with performance, with achievement. I wasn't in tune with sadness and my pain and with this muscle called grief. And so uh, my wife is originally from the Scottsdale, Arizona area. So when I heard desert, I was thinking metaphorical. The next morning, I make my wife some coffee and I tell her what I hear and she just tears up and she said, I've been sensing the same thing. I want to go home. And I was like, oh, crap, we're moving, to, <laughs> we're moving, to, we're moving to the desert. And, um, but I, I decided I was going to buy every book I could find on the desert mothers and fathers. And I was wow. going to learn what I could learn from the monastic desert life. Mm-hmm. And we moved to an area. Uh, all I asked, all I asked was I wanted to be close to the airport but I wanted to be close to a long trail of desert. I didn't want to be just in suburbia. Right. I wanted to be in a place where I could go hike and feel like I was deserted because that's what I was feeling. I, um, I just uh, hike most days and I, um, I listen. There's some Ignatian prayers. There's an old Father Thomas Keating and Mary Murawski. They have this thing called the, the centering prayer, the welcome prayer. Mm-hmm. And I, I say it, on my walks all the time, but a lot of it is in the listening, the journaling, the reflecting. And obviously I, I, I love the scripture. So I read that, but it's mainly in the, the conversations with God without ceasing, the more that I can do that. That's so, so good. Yeah. That's a great question. I would say, yes, you know, the Dallas Willards, the Henry Nowens. you know, I, I read a lot of the ancient writings right now. I mean, I just, yeah, I'm just, I feel like I'm reading a lot. I read a lot of rabbinic, a lot of monastic and a lot of commentaries. I think I read that. And then I read a lot of like leadership and biographies, but um, yeah, I, I think Pete Scazzaro has been, you know, with emotional healthy stuff has been huge for me. You know, again, like Dallas Willard, those, those have been just really, really important. This is always like the question when you, when you get asked, like, what's the, what's your favorite movie? And you kind of blank on the spot. I I need to have like a list that's on my phone that I just can like rattle off. And then with preaching, you know, you get, you know, this from the, the fight it is to discover your own sound. Yeah. And there was a season where, you know, when you live in Rob Bell's basement and you're around him, it can become so easy to, to sound like him. And that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. he's such a good communicator. The world just doesn't need another Rob because he's the only one that can do <laughs> him. And when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be asked, why weren't you more like Rob? You know? Right. Um, but I think that there are things that I could learn. There were things I learned from Mike Erie. He's an amazing communicator who used to be at Rock Harbor and now is in kind of leads the Vox podcast there. There, I learned a lot from even Bill just in institution building and leadership. And yet I think I stepped away from like really listening to a lot of voices to actually kind of step back and go, yeah, I think this is a season of just really refining the sound that God has asked me and made me for. And so, so that, that went for a probably 
I'd say three or four years, I wasn't, I wasn't listening to anybody okay. outside of maybe podcasts or, but I wasn't, I was not listening to teachers. I just mm-hmm. wasn't. Um, I was watching my own talks, which makes me sound like a narcissist, but I was watching going, that wasn't you. No, no, that was you. And it right. was all this thought of, I have to prepare myself to lead Willow mm-hmm. and what's Willow going to need. And I got to do the hard work to make sure that I know who I am. I break myself open. I pour myself out. Jesus is doing something in me, but I'm able to say it in a way that's most effective for Chicagoland. And I was focused on that. I've transitioned now to launching something called Craft and Character. And this is, um, it, it's a it's craftandcharacter.org, but it really is a, a conversation on how to get better at the craft of communication. But the key is this ampersand in the middle that it's craft and character. Right. And, and again, like this, this kind of comes out of both the Bible and culture. I'll start with culture because Dave Chappelle signs this massive contract with Comedy Central. I mean, I think it was $50 million for season three, episode five. He tells a joke. The whole room laughs and some, some guy laughs a little too hard and Dave doesn't think the joke is worth that kind of laughter. And so he just walks off set and he pulls out a cell phone, calls his driver, driver picks him up and driver goes, where do you want to go, Dave? And he goes, Dave, Dave like checks his bag and he's got his passport. He goes, take me to the airport. Go to the airport, walks up to the counter and goes, what's the farthest flight you have from here? And like, well, we're going to South Africa in two and a half hours. He's like, great, I'll take it. Buys a first class seat, gets on the plane, flies. And he has nowhere to really go, but somehow finds himself at a monastery. TMZ's lost their mind going, Dave Chappelle walked off set. He must be high on cocaine. I mean, all the stories are going. And he's just heading to a place of silence. And like every celebrity who's train wrecked their life, finds himself on a couch with Oprah. And (laughs) Oprah just like looks at us into his soul. And um, she goes, Dave, why'd you do it? And he starts to break down. And Robin, no joke, he looks back at her and goes, because sometimes success can take you farther than character can sustain you. Sometimes success can take you places that character cannot sustain you. And he just realized his success had outpaced his character and he needed a reset. And I think the same thing happens in the local church. The same Mm -hmm. thing happens in business. Same thing happens on professional teams. Our craft and us like putting all of this energy to our craft far outpaces the person we are actually becoming. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to start something that said, hey, we're going to talk about your craft because Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect your gift. He's talking about the gift of preaching that we called out of you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. And he says this in 1 Timothy 4. He says, so that everyone may see your progress. So I want you to get better at this, but He's right before that whole section, he's talking about, don't let anybody look down on you. Lead by example and your character and, and what you say. Like he's talking about your character leading the way. So I, I've been listening more to communicators that I think are doing both really, really well. They take their craft seriously. I respect their character. Um, someone like Rich Velotis out of New Life Fellowship in Queens, really, really respect him. Mm-hmm. John Mark Comer, really, really respect him. I just did an interview with, for the podcast with Glenn Packiam. You know, there's a few people that I just come to mind right now too, like Tara Beth um, Leach at Paz Naz, Pas- mm-hmm. Pasadena. 
um, Daniel Strickland, you know, at the meeting house. I mean, people who I just, I've at least been able to know maybe superficially or maybe just online or I listen to their talks. But when you, when you have an ear to kind of hear about character and formation, because there's a lot of people who know how to transfer information. Few people know how to speak from a transformed place. Wow. Yes. You get around so those true. people, you just go, I got to soak up as much as I can. And so we're just yeah. dedicated to that, unpacking that. And so we've got a bi-monthly podcast and some conferences and some cohorts and coaching and content that we just are putting out, just trying to help people get better at their craft, but ensuring that their character leads the way. And maybe tell us just a couple other things that you're cooking up right now. Like I noticed you've been posting on Instagram pretty much nightly. If not, you have a special guest doing a thing called the evening Psalms. And yeah. like, what are some other things that you're doing? Yeah. You know, so thanks for asking. I, I, I'm in this, you know, unique place where, you know, for the last 20 some years, I've had a local congregation and, you know, with the kind of uniqueness of social media, as all of the COVID stuff hit, I just kept getting these messages from people going, Hey, how do I do this? What am I supposed to think in this time? And I just, I don't know. I decided probably not wisely, but I decided, you know what, maybe I'm just going to do a nightly thing on the book of Psalms. I'm not going to really study it. I'm just going to read it, reflect on the trail or in my chair, and then put a camera on and just share what I feel like God spoke to me. So I just started this thing called evening Psalms. Robin, I should not have started with the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. Yeah, like why not Philemon or exactly. Jude or yeah. <laughs> I, I, not smart, man. Not right. smart. But um, it's almost it's, like teaching your way through Leviticus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. You know, so I it's but it's been amazing for me. And then I've just been just trying to amplify some other voices and some some female teachers and people that I feel like um, I really would love for others to know about. So it's, it's been a great experience. And so I've been doing that. And then I co-host a sports podcast as well called The Home Team with mm. NFL linebacker Sam Acho and then Sam Ponder, who basically runs NFL Countdown for ESPN. She's the, the, the host of that. She's fantastic. So three of us, and it's just about sports and culture and faith. And how that translates to our family. And it's been an absolute ball. So um, you can learn more about that as well, the home team pod. So it's super fun. So yeah, writing, speaking, and then just trying to help people get better um, at craft and character. And then I've got this bizarre affection and love for sports. So that just is a kind of a creative release. Well, listen, Steve, appreciate your heart. Um, appreciate just the time that you've given us today, just talking about the things that really matter in leadership. Appreciate you sharing your story, just for the encouragement that you've given us. And uh, man, just wish you all the best as you continue to kind of lean into this season and uh, learn all the lessons that God is is teaching you and and also just to create some some new content. Just really look forward to seeing just the stuff that um, that you're creating in uh, the months ahead. So thanks again. What a great conversation. I just loved what Steve shared about raising kids of integrity and that Dave Chappelle story. Amazing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hey, would you help me continue to get this podcast out to leaders like you? Something that really helps people find new podcasts like this one is iTunes reviews. If it's been helpful, would you take a couple of minutes to review this podcast? If you do, and email your review to ellingwood.robin at gmail.com, your name will be entered into a draw for Steve's book, This Invitational Life. 
The second way that you can help me continue to produce episodes to help leaders is by becoming a Speaking of Leadership podcast patron. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash speaking of leadership or visit patreon.com and search for the Speaking of Leadership podcast. I'd be so grateful if you took a moment to look at the different tiers and consider pledging. You can support this podcast for as little as $3 a month or get some perks by donating $5 or $10 a month. On our next episode, we'll hear from pastor and songwriter Tim Hughes. I had such a great conversation with Tim about his leadership journey and what he's learning. Here's an excerpt. I think the other thing that I've learned and seen, um, and it is an absolute necessity in leadership, is collaborative leadership. I think perhaps when I was beginning to lead and I watched maybe some of my father's generation, it was much more the um, one significant lead, quite autocratic, charismatic, mm-hmm. you know, person that kind of everyone gathers around with their notepads and you tell me how high to jump and I'll, you know, I'll jump, it's slightly exaggerated, but I, I think what we're seeing is the need for much more accountable, um, collaborative leadership, mm. recognizing that one leader isn't going to cover everything and the importance of building team um, and importance of building people who think differently to you, who can challenge you. I think, I think this whole area, again, because things are so much more public, social media exposes things so much more quickly. We, we need people who can keep us accountable, who can really challenge us and encourage us. And I think this whole thing about relationship and people wanting to belong to something, I think we've lost so much trust in simply the great orator or the great dynamic leader. We, we want to belong to a vision. We want to be part of something. So I think the leaders we're seeing who are really beginning to flourish and thrive and make a difference are those who are able to build strong teams mm. around them so that journey together with the people rather than just one individual. Well, folks, that's it for today. Tune in next time as we continue our journey to becoming better leaders. <laughs>